Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Yes. Oh, there we go. I know how to work a mic. Go ahead, grab a seat. Grab a seat. How you feeling this morning? You happy? You like who you're sitting next to? Yeah. That was some iffy, yes. If you don't like who you're sitting next to, there's other seats for you to get up and move to. Could you imagine if like, people like, got up and moved? You're like, actually, I'm going to go sit on the other side of the church. That'd be super awkward. But, well, it's, uh, it's my honor to be here this morning. And it's my first time ever to the South on this side. So I've only ever lived in Portland and Seattle. So I've only ever experienced West Side Northwest Wokeville. So um, the South is a foreign world to me. You guys are a different nation than me. This is, this is like me, third world country traveling somewhere else. Like this is a different world to me. A better world, I might say, okay? Um, but it is a different world nonetheless. And uh, uh, Lyle and my dad became friends probably about a year ago or so. My dad texted me, he's like, hey, you should become friends with Lyle and Allison. Like, I think you guys should be friends. You guys have a lot in common. Uh, whatever. So we started talking two months ago or so, and uh, we, we have a lot in common. We are very, very much the same person. And uh, my wife and I, we flew in on Thursday, and uh, Friday was her birthday, and so we've been here for her birthday all weekend. But we flew in uh, Thursday, so we spent the last couple of days with uh, Allison and, and Lyle, and uh, quickly have become very good friends. And um, I would say, I am now your uncle. I will be here randomly. Uh, you just, I'll just walk in the door and just be at church. You won't even know it. I'm the uncle that's going to show up for Thanksgiving that no one wants involved. I'm just going to like be around. So um, I, I'm making myself extended family. I love your guys' pastors. And uh, today is my second Sunday ever missing at church at home. So over three years, I've missed two Sundays, and today is one of them. And I told Lyle, I'll, I'll only miss weekends for very specific people. And uh, you guys are one of those people that I would miss a weekend for. And so uh, back home, uh, a man named Pastor Steve is, is speaking for us, who Lau just got to meet. He, he's amazing. But uh, he said a phrase that I, I've been thinking a lot about. We, we got one ago. He's, in his, he's 74. He goes to our church. He's a senior pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And now he's with us. And I've known him my whole life. He's amazing. But we're talking about pastors and stuff. And he goes, you know, I've come to this realization older in life. I've found that God treats churches how churches treat their pastors. And the more I've thought about that over the last four days, the more it makes a lot more sense to me. And so I want to challenge you guys. I know you love your pastors, but treat your pastors well. Uh, Because you guys have some of the finest pastors and leaders and people in the whole world. And so you guys put your hands together. And how much do you guys love your pastors this morning? Come on, they're the best. Well, my, my clock started, so I better start preaching. So that, that red clock that back there is counting down. So I'm going to treat myself at home this morning, and I'm going to preach as I do at home. And so if you have any inkling this morning to say amen, stand up, wave a hanky, I really don't care what you want to do this morning. And if I say anything worthwhile, you can say amen, you can do whatever you want. But uh, if this is your first time experience in church, Maybe a friend invited you, maybe your neighbor tricked you into coming and you thought you were going to brunch, but they brought you to church. <laughs> maybe your girlfriend said, if we're going to keep dating, you got to go to this church with me. I don't know why you're here, uh, but if this is a new experience to you, man, it's our honor to have you. And uh, please get connected, find somebody here. This is a great church to get plugged into. So if this is a new experience for you and that karaoke was really loud to you, and you're like, this was a lot, you know, like this is a unique experience, man, we're, it's our honor to have you. And uh, if this is a new space and place for you, stick around and uh, make this home, get plugged in. It'll be a great, great blessing for you. So if you're new, we love you. So glad to have you. And uh, we're going to go to the Bible this morning. And uh, whether you've been in church your whole life or this is an opening Sunday for you in a spiritual place, um, I'm going to preach about Jesus this morning. And um, that's why we gather. That's why we sing. That's why we are here is to become more like this person named Jesus. And uh, we believe this book, yes, it's old, but it is still alive and active, and it speaks to us and directs us. And so, um, yeah, this book is a pretty old uh, 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 group of writings, but we believe that every time you read this book, the author reads it with you. 
and it's unlike any other book in the whole world. And so we believe as we read this morning that the author is going to read it with us and reveal himself once again. And so if you have a Bible with me, go to the book of Nehemiah. Old Testament this morning. Nehemiah. Nehemiah, I'm going to do my very best to kind of put three sermons together in one, which is a preaching nightmare. But I feel, I want to get, so we're going to go through Nehemiah chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. That's my goal this morning. No promises, but my goal is to land somewhere. Um, but I want to give a little bit of overview of the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah is a man named Nehemiah. Okay, we'll start there. He's a man named Nehemiah. He is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. Cupbearer was the man that would put his life in front of the king. Every time the wine came, he would taste it to make sure nobody was poisoning the king. Every time the food came, he would taste it a little bit to make sure no one's poisoning the king. Every time there was a decision made, he would make sure the king was in the good light. Like the cupbearer was one of the most important people to the king. Wow. Nehemiah is a Jew serving a non-Jew king. So a Christian is working for a non-Christian. And he puts his life in danger every day for someone that doesn't honor the God that he honors. Wow. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, is his diary. It's his memoirs. He's, he writes down thoughts and ideas every day. And it was compiled at the same time with the book of Ezra. If you ever want to compare books, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah were written by the same person at the same time. So those two books, you should study them together. Nehemiah and Ezra go hand in hand. They're two books, same period, same location, same everything, which is unlike any other book section in the New Testament, or sorry, the Old Testament. So Nehemiah is a man who is a leader for a cupbearer. I want to read Nehemiah chapter 1. A few verses here. Nehemiah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of the king Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of their men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity. Context, Babylonian captivity just got over. So Egypt just ended. The Syrian army just ended. They're on their way back to Judah. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who have returned to the providence of Judah. They are in great trouble and great disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the Lord. Then I said, and it's a long prayer, we're not going to go through it today, but jump down to verse 10. The people rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, hear this, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Look at this, please grant me success today by making the king favorably look upon me. Look at this, put it in his heart to be kind to me. Nehemiah finds out his homeland is destroyed. The walls are burnt down. The gate is destroyed. The wall is done. His city is in disgrace. His city is in ruins. And the Bible says he's moved to mourning. It's not just a tear. It's not just a sadness. It's not just a bad moment. It's not just a bad hour. The Bible says he is mourning. He is weeping for days. He is distraught. Why? Because his city, his homeland is destroyed, and he can do nothing about it. The Bible says, it gives us context, that he's in the month of Kislev. When we jump to Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, that is four months later. Four months later, during the 20th year of the reign of Artaxerxes, I was, look at this, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. The man is still sad four months later. This is deep depression. This is deep distraught. This isn't like, oh, that was a bad moment. I feel bad for my people. He's still weeping and in sad face four months 
about his homeland. And look at this. Why are you looking so sad, the king said. You don't look sad to me. Or sorry, you don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. But how can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is, is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Look at the king. Look at the king asked him, how can I help you? With a prayer to God of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, look at this, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Okay, we're going to start here. My title for our talk today is Something Worth Building. Something Worth Building. I'm a very competitive person. I am an Enneagram eight on the Christian horoscope. I am very, very type eight. I'm an eight with a wing eight. I'm a double eight. I am very competitive. Lyle and his little brother Spencer, we played basketball yesterday. I talked trash the whole time. That's probably why Spencer was not at church this morning. He's probably still mourning from yesterday. I'm, oh, he's right there. Hi, Spencer, you feeling good, buddy? You had a rough day yesterday. Um, I am very competitive. I don't like to lose. If I think I'm going to lose, I won't play. And some of you are like, that's petty. Yes, it is. And I don't care. If I think I might lose, I'm not playing. I'm very competitive. Even my son, we'll play basketball, ping pong together. I'll let him get a few points. Once he starts getting confident, I just smack him. It's like, no, you will learn today. You are not better than me. My son is eight, and he's already learning. He's not as good as me. And I don't care. You're like, that's mean. It is what it is, okay? I, I don't like to lose. I am competitive. And whenever I get in games, I always try to rig the game to make sure that whoever's on my team, we're going to win. You might as well call me the, 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 the Spurs right now or, you know, um, or the, the Nets right now, right? Like, I act like the Nets in my life. So we're like, use that, sports. Don't worry about it. Um, I want to win. I want to choose people on my team. And the reality is Jesus is building one thing, friends. Jesus is not building 15 things. He's not building 10 things. He's not building five things. He's not even building three things. The Bible says he is spending his energy, his time, his effort, his focus, his love, his energy. Jesus is building one thing. And that thing is not connect groups. That thing is not uh, uh, worship moments. That thing is the th this thing that we're in called the church. Jesus is building one thing, and it is not, it's not his plan B, it's not his last option, it's not like if, if my spirit doesn't do what it's supposed to do, I guess I'll build my church. He is building one thing, and it is his plan A, there's no other option, there's no other thing. He is building his church, and if that is what he's building, that is what I want to build because I want to win. And if Jesus is going to win at the end of this book, it says he wins. The last page of this book, we win. And so if me as a competitive person, I want to be part of the winning team. And so if the church is good enough for Jesus to build, it's good enough for me to build. If it's worth his time, it's worth my time. If it's his energy, it's worth my energy. Jesus is building one thing, and it's called the local church. And this morning, I want to talk to you about there is something worth your life. It's called the local church. And it is something worth building. Listen to me, listen to me. It's not something worth attending. It's something worth building. So today I'm going to be a senior pastor that I am and ask you to build something worth building. Give you three thoughts today from Nehemiah 1, 2, and 3. Number one is this. It might be time for some of you to switch bags. Might be time for me to switch back, so I'll explain that in a moment. Nehemiah is a Jew serving Yahweh and is given his life to a man that does not acknowledge his God. I want to talk to those of you that are Christians in the room that serve unchristian bosses and CEOs and CFOs. The way you treat them does not dictate how you think about them, it dictates how you think about God. And if you're always late because you're busy praying, that is a wrong way to represent the God that you represent. 
And just because your boss is not a believer and your boss is not an honoring person of God does not give you the right to gossip, drama, get around the water cooler, not do work correctly. Just because you are working for someone that does not work for the one that you work for does not change how you treat that person. Nehemiah is a follower of Yahweh, yet his boss is not, and yet he gives his life in danger every day. I'll drink your wine for you. I'll eat your food for you. Why? Because I've been put on assignment to serve you. His friends come to him and say, the city is destroyed. The city is in ruins. And the Bible says he is depressed, in mourning, distraught for four months. He's an emotional moment for four months. Before we even continue, I want to talk to you, so hear me, hear me. His hand is with the king, but his heart is in Judah. It takes a mature Christian to keep working with your hand when your heart is somewhere else. Listen, your heart might be in Texas, but your hand is here, and you need to build where your hand is. Your heart might be wanting to move back to Alabama or Louisiana or L.A. or New York, wherever you're from. But guess what? Your hand is here. And it takes a mature Christian to keep your hand working, though your heart has left, though your heart wants to be somewhere else, though your heart wants to work in a different department, your hand is still here. At your job, if your heart is to be transferred to a different department, your heart is to work for a different firm, your heart is to get a different job, that's fine that your heart is there, but guess what? Your hand is still here. And have you found a way to still build with your hand when your heart is removed? Because it goes like this, when my passion's gone. I don't care as much as I did. My heart is somewhere else. My heart's in kids. Well, guess what? Your hand's in worship. So until Lyle lets your hand follow your heart, build where your hand is. And it takes a mature leader and a mature Christian to build with your hand when your heart is somewhere else. But he still serves the king for four more months doing his job every day. He comes before the king. And the king goes, you're not sick. So you must be sad. And then he says this. He doesn't say to the king, put your shoulders back. It gets real spiritual. God told me to do this. Doesn't say that. You know what he says? If I have pleased you, send me. He doesn't say the Lord of the heaven's armies. The creator of the universe, the star-speaking God, the water-speaking. He goes, you know what? If I've pleased you here, send me there. Hear me, when you want to transition seasons, do not leave. Be sent. And it's two different things. Leaving a season and being sent into a season are two different things. And if you have not done well in this season... You will not be sent to the next. You have to leave to the next. And it is some type of leader that has a king that does not serve his God. Look at someone that wants to go serve their God and go, you know what? You've been an amazing worker. I will send you. I will bless you to go. Read it. They send them money, armies, protection, and a letter. No one touched the Amaya as he goes across the plains. Why? Because he was such a leader and such a servant in this season that when God blesses for me to transition, I don't need to leave. I get to be sent. That's the leader I'm talking about. That's the builder I'm talking about. He was, if I have pleased you, will you send me? And a Atheist king goes, how can I help you? So those of you that want to start your own business, would you leave the boss you're serving now? And you want to go build a nonprofit business to honor God? Does the boss you leave right now go, let me give you some money on your way? Let me give you some material on the way. Let my staff help you leave. Why? Because of how you've acted here. But if your hand stops because your heart leaves, you will have to leave a season. You won't be sent from a season. And Nehemiah, I'm just getting going. Nehemiah goes, I want to go. I want to go to Judah and help my friends rebuild the wall. I think for many of you, it's time to switch backs. And what do I mean by that is this. 
Some of you were just pop forward back Christians. It's a big bag of popcorn. <laughs> Kettle corn. Many of us, hear me, I'm, I'm going somewhere. What does it have to do with Nehemiah chapter 1? This is what has to do with Nehemiah chapter 1. It is one thing to have an emotional inkling to do something for God. Oh, sad. Worship moved me this morning. Prayer moved me on Thursday night. Connect group got me emotional to go do something. But then our emotions end. We get in the car. Like, that was a cool moment. Worship was great. Prayer was awesome. And then by the time Monday or Tuesday comes around, our emotions have left. And our hand is still remaining. For many of us, it goes like this. We're popcorn bad Christians. That every time Lyle says we're going to raise some money, you sit back with the popcorn bag. I wonder, I wonder how that's going to go. <laughs> I was really moved like when Lyle like, prayed for the new building. But like, I didn't pick up a print brush because I was just too busy. Like, we, like, started praying for, like, people to get saved. Like, I was really emotional. I, I actually cried a few times. Like, it really got me. But then by next Sunday, you're sitting back going, I wonder how, like, finances are at the church. I wonder how, like, man, it's a long Sunday. I wonder, like, how, like, serving goes and stuff, you know? Like, man. Services at 9. That means they're there, like, 6.30. God, that's early. They serve both services. They're there until like 12.30. That's like seven hours, man. Like, that must be a really long day. And you have sat back for five years. Eating your popcorn going, I wonder how the church is doing. And you're emotional about it. You pray about it. You cry about it even. You wrote in your journal how emotional you were. Oh, that one got you. What a journal. What a journal writers this morning, you know? It's at 9 a.m. Listen, it's one thing for your emotions to move you, but it's one thing for you to move. I want to ask you this morning are you a popcorn bag or are you a work bag? Could you imagine if a few hundred adults in the church that came to their Sunday service acting like a worker? And I'm not sitting back and watching. I'm not a popcorn person. I'm a work bag. What do you need for me today? You need a camera? I'm here to work. You need another sign micer? I'm here to work. You need a parking lot team? Yeah, I'm here to work. You need some more kids worker? Yeah, I'm here to work. You need a greeter? I'm here to work. Even if, even if my skill is to play drums, if you need more kids workers, that's where my bag's going to go. Even if my heart is to play the piano, if you need more parking lot people, that's where my bag's going to go. Why? Because I am a Nehemiah. I'm here to work. I'm here to carry. I'm here to move. I refuse to sit back with my popcorn bag and watch everything. I am not a popcorn bag Christian. I'm a work bag Christian. Could you imagine what we could do with a couple hundred workers? Listen to me. Churches aren't built by popcorn Christians. I would also say to you, if you're church hopping, stop. You ain't helping no one. Including yourself. Traveling seeds will not bear fruit. Planted seeds do. So if you've been church hopping between your five favorite churches, you ain't helping no one or yourself. God bless. Have a good Sunday. I'm serious. You ain't helping no one. It is, Spencer. Yes, it is. Seriously, I know this is funny, but like, are you a worker? Are you, a, are you here to build or attend? It's a big difference, by the way. And I know I'm in your mess right now. I'm in your kitchen. So I, I get it. Cool, you attend it all the time. You love worship. That's cool. Are you here to build? 
Because legacy is something worth building. Attendance does not build churches. Workers build churches. And for some of you, you've been holding your popcorn back for too long. Just sit and watch him. Nehemiah was moved in his heart, wept for four months, but yet he went and did something. He could have easily said, well, people are there. Ezra's there. He's a priest. Ezra will take care of it. I love, I love this little short story. I think it's pretty funny. Where is it? This little story is about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry that because it was everybody's job, everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody was going to do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. It's time to put your popcorn back down. It's time to be in Nehemiah and see an issue and go to work. I said this on Friday night. Leaders and critics see the same thing, but one goes to work and one goes to a computer. We all see the same thing. We see cracks. We see flaws. We see things that are not perfect. But that is your leader instinct kicking in inside of you going, I should engage myself. I should step in and help. I should put my hand to the plow. I should step in and serve. Or you'll just go to your Instagram or your Twitter or your blog or your neighbor and just complain about something you should have been helping in. This is something worth building. And it's time for many of us to switch bags. Number two. Is this helping so far? Yes. We're going to get somewhere. It's all introduction. Number two, the palace is always safer. So let's just consider before we all get all happy. Nehemiah is in the king's palace with lush wine or seltzer, whatever you drink. He gets the king's food. He gets the king's delicacies. It's safe in there. It's quiet. It's nice. He is living the life. Oh, the palace is safer. And he puts himself in harm's way to go all the way from the king's palace all the way to Judah. That's why the king had to give him a piece of paper saying no one harmed Nehemiah because he was going through enemy territory. He had to travel all the way through enemy territory to get to back to Judah on where he was serving. Listen to me. Hiding in the palace is safer. Do you know what's not safe? Serving. Here's the thing about Jesus, friends. If you actually want to follow Jesus, your money ain't safe anymore. It ain't safe anymore. Wait till you've saved all of that money for your first down payment. He says, give it away. Wait till business owner, you've saved all of that extra net for your new campus. And he says, give it. Wait till your business is taken off and your time is your hottest commodity. And he says, serve. Wait till your family is the most important time commodity you have. And he, can, he, he starts pushing you to do marriage counseling for younger married people. Like, man, that takes up my time. Yeah. Hiding in the palace is safer. Not serving is safer. Not giving is safer. Not following is safer. Not stepping out is safer. But hear me, friend, you cannot be saved and not sent. It's not an option. It's not an option to be fully saved and under Jesus' reign and not be sent. But this is what we do. We compartmentalize Jesus. You can have these, but this is mine. You can have like you know, Sunday between 9 and 10.30, but like, you know, Mondays are mine. You have Tuesday nights because that's like worship and prayer, and that's awesome. I mean, like, you have Thursdays because that's like band practice, but like the rest, the rest is mine. We don't say this because we're good Southern Christians, but we live that way because you act that way when he asks for it back, and you're like, no. Listen, friends, either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. The word Lord literally means 
Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Owner. Yeah. Supremacy. Yeah. You're dead. <laughs> Galatians 2.20. I have now crucified myself. You're dead. So anytime a side of you stops dis starts disagreeing with Jesus, you realize you haven't killed that side yet. It's safer in the palace, friends. It's safer not to serve. It's safer not to give. But you are not called to live a safe life. We're not called to hide ourselves away and hide our money away, hide our time away, hide our gifts away, hide our effort away. We're not called to hide in the palace. We're called to be sent back to Judah. Judah could be a married of different places for you, but have you been hiding in your palace with your popcorn bag? Wash it. Because it's safer. It's easier. Yeah, it is easier not to get up at 5.30 to come practice. It's easier. You guys good? If you're new to church, and this is a season of receiving for you, that's awesome. But friend, that season ends. At some point in your Christian journey, you have to, you have to move from a receiver to a builder. So you, like, isn't it really nice to like just show up and drop your kids off and leave? It's great, huh? You just walk up, check up, scan the QR code, amazing team walks up, takes your kids, and you get to go worship with no distractions. Do you know why? Because there's 50 people in there serving your family right now. Do you know why you get to show up and be in God's presence? Because that team goes to practice. And shows up at 6 a.m. to go through the list and gets the sound. You receive every Sunday. It might be time for some of you to switch from receiving every Sunday and start building. Because this is what happens. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And messages like this, unfortunately, those who are already doing more will go, oh, I got to do more then. I'm not talking to you. I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to those of you that haven't served in six months. Lau has not asked me to say any of these things, by the way. <laughs> I just know what this is. The palace is safer, friends. But it's not where you're meant. I'll say it this way. Boats are safer in the harbor. That's not what they're built for. That's where boats are safe. Stay in the harbor and hook up to the, to the dock. But that's not what boats are built for. They're built to be out in the deep. Yeah, you're safer to be in the palace. It's not what you're built for. Wow. Yeah, that's good. Come on. And by the way, does this story not sound a little bit familiar? That there was a servant who was the right hand to the king? Who lived in a kingdom that was safe? And traveled across the world to help rebuild something that fell apart. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Yeah. Jesus is the one that was the servant to the king. That led the kingdom. That left the safety of heaven. That left the safety of that kingdom. That left the safety of hiding in the heavens. And put on human flesh. And came across to Judah. And helped rebuild something that was in distraught, broken, and, and, and in ruins. Why? Because heaven was safer for him. The cross was not. Heaven was safer for him. The journey was not. Nehemiah, Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Nehemiah is just showing a picture. That one day there is a greater servant. That's going to come across the land. And help rebuild this broken wall, this broken world. Jesus is literally Nehemiah. Stop hiding in the palace. Nehemiah chapter 3. Then Elisha, the high priest, and the other high priest started to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it 
set it up in its doors and building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated in the Tower of the Hananel. People from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Sakur, son of Amir. The fish gate was built by the sons of Hassah. They laid the beams and set up the doors and installed the bolts and bars. Memoroth, son of Uriah, the son of blah, 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 blah. This keeps going for an entire chapter. Entire chapter. So-and-so was next to so-and-so. So-and-so was next to so-and-so. So-and-so built next to so-and-so. You know what it tells me? That there's a spot for you on this wall. There is a spot for you at this wall. If you've been on the outskirts, going, I don't know if there's a place for me. I don't know if I fit in. I think they have it all covered. I'm not as good as her, as good as him. I couldn't do this. I can't do that. There is a spot for you on this wall. And when you go through Nehemiah 3, there are priests, perfume makers, men, women, children, merchants, goldsmiths, city governors, landowners, rich people, poor people, lower class, middle class, upper class, next to each other on the wall. This world is different than any other world. That we go side by side with people in different lands, different area codes, different social status, different levels of life, different levels of money. And why? Because this wall's worth building. I will get next to someone, next to someone, next to someone, and we will get shoulder by shoulder by shoulder. Why? Because this is worth building. And there's a spot for me on this wall. There's a spot for me to build. There's a spot for me next to people I really have nothing in common with. Except we all want to rebuild this. Yes. Do you know any differences are in this room? <laughs> but we put all of those aside and pick up one name named Jesus. Because we have that in common and we want to build this church. Why? Because it's something worth building. There is a spot for you on the wall. How long are you going to wait till you get on the wall? How long are you going to sit and watch? And watch legacy being built? And you've wasted four years watching. Do you know where some of the best memories in this church come from? The late night work time. That's when everyone gets loopy. Everyone's so tired, jokes don't make sense, but everybody laughs. I guarantee you, some of Lyle's finest memories of this church thus far was rebuilding this building. Because that's where life happens. That's when memories happen. That's when families are made families in the trenches. On the wall building. I know I'm hammering this. I'm telling you, some of you need to get, need to get in the wall. Put your popcorn bag down. Get your, get your work bag. I'm reporting for duty. Where do you need me on the wall? Because I'm here to work. I'm here to build. Why? Because this is something worth building. We got here, guys. We did it. We have 12 minutes. Go to Nehemiah 6. I can't believe we got here. The Lord is faithful. This is where I want to end. Sinbalat, Tobiah, and Geshem of the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished building, rebuilding the wall, and there was no gaps remaining. Though we had not set up the clothes, set up the doors and the gates. So Sinbalat and Geshem sent me a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages. But I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending them this message. Hear this. I'm engaged in a great work, and I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent me this message, and each time I gave them the same reply. Hear me. This is why I have 11 minutes. I'm going to end. When you find your spot on the wall, get ready for sound ballot to start to get you down. When you find your spot on the wall and you start working, building, and leading, wait till same ballot comes by and goes, you want to come down? You want to get off the wall for a bit? I want to talk to you. And his response is, I'm building something great. 
I can't come down. I'm busy. I want to give you four things that are trying to get you off the wall. Because now I've convinced you all to get on. Right? At least 80 of you need to go sign up for a serve team when we end service today. At least 30 of you need to go sign up for something. So now I've convinced all of us we're going to get on the wall. I'm going to help you out by giving you four things that are trying to get you off it. Number one. Mistakes. Past and present mistakes. You know what's going to get you off the wall? When you do something you shouldn't have done. You make a mistake. You fall. Make a bad decision. Sleep with someone you shouldn't have slept with. Spent money you shouldn't have spent money with. Had a bad relationship. Going through a rough top spot in your marriage. And your shame will start talking like, you should just get down. You're going you're to serve tomorrow? You're going you're to serve this Sunday? Do you remember Friday night? And shame starts getting loud going, you're going to lead worship next weekend? Do you remember your spouse's argument last Thursday? You're going to get up and preach Sunday? Do you remember you taught your kids on Tuesday? One of the main things I'll try to get you off the wall is shame. Past and present failures. Number two, God let me down. God let me down. This is not turning out how I thought it would. I thought I'd start tithing, my business would blow up, not shrink. I thought like going to the marriage group would fix everything, not like make it more complicated. I thought like getting friends with those families would like make me feel more homey and welcome and now it's like ostracize me even more. And actually, this isn't panning out how I thought. Leaving the palace and serving and giving and sacrificing. And I, I'm going to leave the wall. How many people right now, your friends that used to be in this room aren't? Because they feel like God let me down. God didn't do what he said he was going to do. God left me. God was distant. Friend, if you're in that space and you're getting ready to walk away because God has let you down, I'm going to give you a simple thought. Wandering faith is different than wavering faith. It's different. You aren't wavering, friend. You're wandering. And every Christian will have a season of wandering faith. And I would submit to you, if you've never wandered, you never followed. These wandering moments, where are you? Where are we going? What is this? Where have you been? Just wandering. Don't let wandering become wavering. Shame will get you down. God let me down will get me down. Third, offenses. I'm offended by her. You're offended by everyone. If you walk into every room and there's someone in there that's offended you recently, you might be it, honey. God, 2020, we got soft. Especially in Portland, we are soft. Everything's offensive. Everything's hurtful. Everything is mean. And we're offended by everyone. You have to pick up offense, by the way. Though someone's laid it at your feet, does not mean you have to pick it up. And I'm not, hear me, I'm not being the like pastor, like, oh, they didn't offend you. They did. Like, there's really offensive Christians, okay? So I'm not like dismissing very offensive moments and sentences, okay? Right, 
oh, just get over it. No, like, some of you like, have, have an absolute right to be offended and hurt. For sure, I'm not dismissing that. But more often than not, a lot of us are so easily offended. Why don't you serve anymore? She didn't invite me to her birthday. Wow. Or like Lyle and Alice have a special group over, and I'm sick of the clicks. I'm sick of the clicks. We only done serving, and like they went out to dinner at Piggly Wiggly's, and I didn't get invited. Is that like a restaurant, right? Is that real? Grocery store? Dang it. I was trying to say like at least one culturally relative thing, and I failed. Shake Shack. Went there last night. How easily offended are you? Because it's going to get you off that wall, friend. It's going to. How easily offended are you? How easily do you give people the benefit of the doubt? She didn't mean it. Yes, she did. Like, no, she didn't mean it. Like, no, that's what I said to you. You don't, you don't mean it. Now you're having a bad day. Now don't worry about it. You didn't. It's benefited now. Leaders, talk to the leaders in the room. You don't have time to be offended. You don't have time. There's more important things for you to do than be offended. Do you know why most people don't serve? Because it's not safe. You get scheduled too much. You get scheduled too little. It's so funny to me. I'll be like, I want to be used. And then you leave because you were used. I'm leaving legacy because I was used. Wasn't that like your prayer in your diary? Lord, please use me like a week ago. <laughs> Once again, I, churches do use people. Don't mix it up, okay? Some churches do use and abuse people, okay? I get that. But offenses are going to get you off that wall. Lyle never says hi to you. Get off the wall. You're never thanked. Get off the wall. You're never honored. Get off the wall. You're never invited to the after church lunches. Get off the wall. And there's this voice in your head going, come down. Get off the wall. And you have a response to go, I'm too busy doing something great. Or you'll climb down the wall and those that do rarely get back on. It's just, it's just the truth. This is something worth building, friends. This church is something worth building. And today, you can make up missing out the last four years. Missing out in the last three years. Missing out in the last season. Don't miss out on the next. Because legacy's future is not going to be predicated upon attenders. It's going to be predicated upon builders. Can you imagine what we could do? And I'm saying we because I'm your uncle now. <laughs> With an army of builders. Could you imagine what we could get done? Could you imagine what we could build? If we put aside our petty differences, our petty offenses, and got on the wall and grabbed our bag and said, Coach, put me in. Wherever you need me, I'm there. Late night, early mornings. Something I'm not even gifted about, not even passionate about, not even my thing. Because my heart's there, but my hand's here, and I will serve with my hand, even though my heart is there. I want a church full of Nehemiahs. Imagine what we could do. What we could build. And some of you, I'm prodding pretty hard because you've been watching for a minute. It's time for you to get out of your popcorn bag watching Palace. Find your coach. Find your king. Though you don't call your pastors that. Don't. It's weird. Hey, 
I'm ready to, I'm ready. I want, I want to build. Put me on the wall. And I'm already guarding my heart and I'm not coming down. This is what we're doing. Why? Because legacy is something worth building. Do you know why? Because it's going to outlast you. When you go stand before that throne with St. Peter and the pearly gates, because what's so to me going? The church. Can I just say this? I'm going to get off the stage. Dad, you can come up. Friend, if the church was good before you, it would be good after you. We don't need any more savior mentalities. That I showed up and saved the legacy. I saved the band. I saved the team. You ain't no one's savior. The church was going before you got here, and it will be going when you're not here. We are, we are building something bigger than you. Bigger than us. And if you're ready to be a builder, will you stand to your feet? I want to pray. And seriously, if you're not ready, just stay seated. I know it's awkward. You have to look around. Just stay seated. Because God's going to watch you stand. And he's going to call you on it. If you're like, you know what, I ain't there yet, I ain't ready, I'm going to sit. Please sit, I beg you, please sit. Father, I pray right now for every person in the room. God, we're here to build. We're here to serve. We're here to give our hands. We're here to give our money. We're here to give our time. We're here to give our gifts. God, put us on the wall, whatever spot, whatever place, whether it's on stage, in a kid's room, in a parking lot, behind a camera. Father, this is worth our time. It is worth our energy. It is worth our effort. Father, we are here to build. This is worth building. It's worth our life. It's worth our marriages. It's worth our kids. It's worth our future. We will build our house on this rock. We'll build our marriage on this rock. We'll build our money on this rock. God, we are here to build. God, for those of us that have been spectating for far too long, Push us into build work. Those who've been watching with our popcorn back, give us the confidence and the faith to engage, to step out. God, we want to build. We want to build, God. We want to be known as a church of builders, not just presence, but builders. Not just prayer, but builders. Not just prophecy, but builders, God. All of those things are great, but we are here to build your house. And Father, even beforehand, we protect our heart. We will not come down. Once we find our place in the wall, we will not come down. We protect our heart because we are doing something great. In your mighty, mighty name I pray. And everyone said? Amen. Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.